Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Great to have you with us here on the GM Shuffle. So, in honor of the draft taking place on Thursday, we've got three episodes this week. So, preview episodes today and Wednesday, and then Friday we'll be recapping the first round. We'll also talk about the Oscars last night and other events in the world. But how about the fact that all this circum... Uh, I wouldn't say I was trying to circumvent the issue, but what's going to happen with the number three pick? There's been all this focus as to what's going to happen with the number three pick. Will they get a quarterback, the 49ers, Mac Jones, et cetera? Well, Ian Rappaport talking about Justin Fields, whether or not he's been the number three pick. And Mike, you've been saying this for a while now, for those who have been paying attention to the GM shuffle. Yeah, I mean, Rappaport reported last night, I guess, that 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 the 49ers are down to two players, Justin, uh, Trey Lance and Mac Jones, and that Justin Fields isn't in the equation, which is what we've been reporting here on the GM shuffle. I've talked about it on Lombardi Line, on VEASAN, you know, and so... I mean, that's not, it's not, to me, it's not news, but today it seems to be people have taken it as finally they've off that. You know, AD, I've never seen such polarization about a pick in really all my life. Look, I know that, you know, the Niners gave up two number ones to get to three. I get that. They paid a heavy price to get to where they are. But to me, this, 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 Justin Fields, Mac Jones debate is so, so, I mean, we talked about it last week, how, you know, some people think Mac Jones is a pocket quarterback and he can't throw, you know, he can't make the second play. Well, I guess Dan Marino can't play in the league anymore. So, you know, it's just unbelievable how the two sides are so sturgeon in their, in their beliefs of, of they can't see anything and no one can understand why Justin Fields. I did a podcast with Gil Alexander from Vison and he had two guys on with him and they they like do you realize that if this if if we didn't have uh, if the draft would have been last year that Justin Fields would have been talked about as the number one pick overall? No. No, he was never going to he Trevor Lawrence was always going to be the like like I don't understand it. Like that was never going to happen. And I think a lot of this anger is because no one can understand why you had to pay two number ones to go get. I mean, I must have read it a thousand times. You don't pay two number ones to get Mac Jones. You could have got him anywhere you wanted. 
Yeah, I think one of the bigger issues, Mike, is that people seem to think, listen, Mac Jones is going to be steady, reliable. He fits well in Kyle Shanahan's system. But upside, you want your superstars, Justin Fields. And that's where that debate goes back and forth. People are saying, well, come on, Fields is more electric, more dynamic. Jones is steady. As if steady and reliable can't be good. As if Mac Jones can't put up big passing yards. As if he can't be prolific. That that seems to be the debate that I keep hearing the most. That, oh, Fields has more upside. Jones is good, but not great. And that's based on why, you know, like I, I keep saying to people, if you can't tell me what the, what the basic of the offense is, if you don't understand their structural offense from a scheme standpoint, from a fundamental standpoint, how can you pick a quarterback for the team? Like, if you don't know those things, it's impossible. And only really Kyle Shanahan knows that. Like, and I shared this story with somebody in the league the other day. And and I think it's the most relevant story to this conversation. In 1987, we were getting ready to have a draft. And we had two number one picks that year because we from the, the year before. And right before the draft, maybe two days before the draft, Coach Walsh told me to get all the coaches and have us meet in the offensive back room. And and I so I go around all the offices and I tell everybody, we're at 7-Eleven Nevada Street in Redwood City, a, a really a, a very, very small facility. And I go tell Mike Holmgren, I tell Denny Green, I tell Bob McKittrick, I tell Fred Von Opp, and I tell Sherman Lewis, Ray Roach, George Seifert, Lynn Stiles, you know, all the co- Neil Dolan, all the coaches that were on the staff. Hey, coach wants to have a meeting in five minutes in the back room. So we go up there. We go into the meeting. He says, Michael, you stay. So I, I kind of stayed off to the side of the room because usually that was a coaching meeting. I wasn't a coach. I was a scout. So he says, you stay. And, and so he says, look, we have a chance to trade for Steve Young. And it's going to cost us a fourth round pick. And a million dollars of Eddie DeBarlow's money uh, would, you know, show of hands who's in favor of doing this. Nobody raised their hand. Nobody raised their hand. Walsh got so pissed off, he walked out of the room. He looked at me and said, go pick Steve Young at the airport. These guys are clueless. And the point of the story is not to make fun of the coaches in the room, because a lot of those guys love Joe Montana. And they didn't want to see Steve Young come in and challenge Joe Montana. They also didn't know if Steve Young could play because even though he was really successful at BYU, he was not very good at the LA Express and he was even worse at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And this was almost like Walsh was trying to prove he's a genius by taking on somebody that he could never fix. But that's wrong. Right, Walsh saw something in Steve Young that he knew he could fix. He saw a quarterback whose feet were moving faster than his brain, and if he could slow him down, he could get him to be within the system of the offense, and he did. And my point of the story is simply this. Only Kyle Shanahan is equipped to make the decision, and maybe his father. If I were the GM of the 49ers, I would say to Kyle, Kyle, here's the reality. It's got to work for you and your system. Now, that, does that mean I just say, Kyle, do whatever you want? No. The job of the gentleman, like, why not Trey Lance? Why not this guy? Why not that guy? But for me, I think I would have been at the point where I wouldn't have even, like, I wouldn't have even have talked about Justin Fields with him because it didn't fit. He just didn't fit. So he's got to make that decision. And only he sees what he wants at the line of scrimmage and what he does. And remember, it's so important that he has an extension of himself on the field. It's what I always tell basketball coaches, like head basketball coaches. You're the basketball coach. The point guard should be you. You need to be the point guard. 
What do you mean by that? Well, whoever, whatever your personality is, that's the point guard you should recruit. That's the kind of point guard you should recruit. If you if you're a nit, you know, like you have to have an extension of you on the court. A, co- a coach has to have an extension of him. What is the greatest thing about Brady and Belichick is they were extensions of one another on the field, one off, one on. That's when you reach perfect harmony as a football team or as a basketball team. And unless you can get there, it's very challenging. And I think that's why I think it really comes down to Kyle Shanahan's decision and only Kyle Shanahan's decision. Yeah, it makes you think of the expression, beauty is in the eyes of the beholder. And if Shanahan feels like Mac Jones is his guy, then obviously he couldn't care less what other people are projecting. They've clearly seen enough. They've talked to enough people. They feel like Jones will be the guy. We'll get into more of those with regards to the prop bets in just a second. But how about what's going to happen at number four? So the Atlanta Falcons with Matt Ryan turning 36, maybe some focus on them drafting a quarterback and a quarterback of the future. But there's rumors about Julio Jones potentially being Dell, obviously a superstar wide receiver for a long time. Uh, how much uh, stock do you take in those rumors, Mike, that Julio could be on the move? Well, I think it's a smart play, right? We talked about it all year after the season. I mean, you know, look, the, the, they have to have a come-to-Jesus conversation of really where they are. And that doesn't necessarily mean they should pick a quarterback because maybe they just don't like the quarterbacks in this draft. Maybe they don't feel like the quarterbacks in this draft are 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 what Arthur Smith wants. So I think a lot of this goes to the decision of, of what does – Arthur Smith want to see for his offense. And I think it's pretty clear that, that, you know, when you look at Julio in 2021, he's due to make $15 million. And then he goes down to 11-5, 11-5 the next two years. So, and he's got 2 million guaranteed in 2022. He'll be 33 years old. So it's going to be a huge cap hit when they trade him. But after the season, we thought they needed to do it. He's 32 years old. He's got durability issues. He's still a good player when you get him on the field, but can you get him on the field all the time? And you're asking a team to take on, basically you're asking them to take on $37 million over the next three years with 15, with 17 of it guaranteed. So it's a huge deal for him to take. So who could really take that? I mean, like that number, you can't, you, that number, Jacksonville could take it. You know, the Broncos have a ton of cap room. The Jets could take it. But there's very few teams that really could take that kind of cap charge at this point, especially considering where they are with their with their, with their their draft picks and how they have to in, integrate those in. People say, well, Gruden will take them at the Raiders. Well, Gruden's got about $5 million worth of cap room to work with. And that doesn't count as draft picks. So how does he get that done? Now, he can make some moving around, but that's really going to be hard on his team. And he's got to improve his defense first. So I think it's a challenging trade to make, you know. but I do think it's the right thing for the Falcons to do because, look, they have, five, they have $929 million of $900,000 of cap room. That they're really tight. They can't, they have no flexibility. So we, you know, when, when the season ended, we thought at the trade deadline they should have traded Julio. You know, and they should try to trade Matt, but they can't because of the cap. Now, the new coach really likes Matt Ryan, and he wants to keep going, which is which is fair. Okay, you can't get rid of Matt Ryan anyway, and there's no sense in picking a quarterback that you don't really fall in love with. So pick whoever you fall in love with. And I think they fell in love with Kyle Pitts. 
Yeah, it gets interesting as well. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about potentially the first non-quarterback draft pick if it could be Pitts. But the Falcons, like you said, they've got to be realistic about where they are. What is their opportunity to win right now? And if Julio Jones trading him gives you flexibility and you still think you can be a decent team, well, then clearly you would have to at least explore that option. That brings us to the prop bets, which are a lot of fun here. You can go to the uh, odds from William Hill Sportsbook. You go through all of them, literally pick by pick. You can put some money down. Now, Obviously, out of the gate, Trevor Lawrence, minus 1,000, the first overall pick. Second overall pick, Zach Wilson, expected to go to the Jets at minus 3,000. The third overall pick, it's a little interesting, Mike. Justin Fields at minus 125, Mac Jones at plus 150, and Trey Lance at plus 225. This feels like, considering what we just talked about, you want to make a little bit of money, throw a few dollars on Mac Jones going to the 49ers. Right. So to me, and this is what I've been saying on my show for the last two weeks, right? Look, it's to me, it's always been between Mac Jones, who I think will be the pick, and Trey Lance. I don't deny that it could be Trey Lance. I'm not denying that. However, that being said, you know what I would do as a better is I would bet Mac Jones and I would lay money on, on, on Trey Lance. Now, when I did the show on Sunday, that was a lot easier to do because it was before Rappaport's announcement that it was down to two. This is why if you listen and you pay attention, you got a chance to make money. So you have to offset. The one thing I think you have to do with betting is you have to always make sure that you have a backdoor. It's a little bit like drafting. When you draft a player, you want to make sure, worst case scenario with this player, what happens? Same thing in betting. Like if if I can't if Mac Jones if they surprise me and pick Trey Lance I got to be prepared for that. So Mac Jones is plus one fifty, Trey Lance is plus two twenty five. Why not make that bet? Why not bet a little bit on both? Maybe heavier on Mac, lighter on Trey. But so make sure that no matter what happens, you make money. So you maybe only make a hundred dollars as opposed to a thousand, but still you're making money. That's the art of the game. Yeah, the fact that right now the, the the odds have Justin Fields going to the 49ers, I guess they like his mobility, the fact he can get the ball in the hands of those receivers. But uh, regardless, when you talk about Trey Lance, he hasn't had the front-page career the other quarterbacks in the top 10 discussion have had, but he's had success and has all the tools. That's why I'm with you, Mike. Trey Lance, I don't want to call him a sleeper, but just because he's coming from North Dakota State, he doesn't get as much pub as some of these other guys. That doesn't mean he still couldn't be in the conversation. Well, I mean, he's only played 19 games. He played one game in 2020, and then COVID kind of shut down the season on him. He's very athletic. He's very smart. He's a tremendous kid. He's got a lot of go things going for him. The one thing you've got to be really concerned about is accuracy. He is not a very accurate thrower of the football. And, you know, Josh Allen has probably done more for Trey Lance than any player. Because of Josh Allen's improved accuracies, people are believing that you can improve it. To me, I think it's a slippery slope. You know, I, I I didn't believe Josh Allen could do it. I'd be the first to tell you. And he has improved his accuracy way more than I thought he ever could. So I get that. And I think that's where they are. I mean, Mac Jones is deadly accurate. He's quick-minded. You know, he gets to the line. He can do what they want. I still think it's Mac Jones because I think at the end of the day, when you're making this franchise-type decision, the guy who's got to make it is the guy who runs the franchise. Make no mistake about this. Kyle Shanahan has. I don't care what you read about in any article. John Lynch says this or this guy. There's one guy makes the decision. I was talking to a team the other day about, about uh, the 49ers and they, about they interviewed Robert Salai. And they basically just Salai, when he presented his interview to teams, he talked all about Kyle Shanahan's influence on the, in, in personnel and how Kyle ran the personnel. I mean, it's, it's well known within the league that Kyle runs everything. It's in his contract. 
So when if it's going to be Kyle, that's why I'm so steadfast on Mac, because I truly think Kyle's a guy who has a hard time changing his mind. He saw something in Mac. He wanted to get him. And people say, well, look, why would you trade up to three to get Mac Jones? You could have got him at 12. Well, whoever says that really doesn't know. I think what they were really most concerned about in San Francisco was what happens if the, if the Patriots trade up and get up to seven or six. Now they're going to pick Mac Jones. What happens then? You know, and if, if say they pick Trey Lance, say they pick Trey Lance, say it's Trey Lance at three, then we know we know Carolina wants to sell eight. We know Carolina wants to sell eight. So, you know, maybe does New England go up to eight to go get Mac Jones? I don't know. I don't know. But I mean, it, it now becomes more doable than going to three. This one gets interesting. First non-quarterback drafted. So Kyle Pitts is at plus 130. Panay Sewell at plus 225. Jamar Chase at plus 225. You got Rashawn Slater as well. You have said previously, Mike, at number five, the Bengals are just salivating to get Panay Sewell and try to support Joe Burrow, who got absolutely wrecked last year behind that woeful offensive line. Would you pick Sewell here, plus 225, or Pitts at plus 130? Maybe he goes to Atlanta. I, I go Pitts 130. Or I, I lock that in right now today. I get that locked in. I'm not sold that Sewell's going five. I, I, I think he should go five. It makes all the sense in the world. But then when you talk about the Bengals, how do you make all the sense in the world? You know, <laughs> I, I mean, it just, it bothers me that, you know, I can't really predict that, you know? And so I, I, I think it should be a slam dunk that Sewell goes there. But when you look at the Bengals and you look at their trading history and you look at what they need, I mean, they, they typically, when you look at, at, at their, you know, and when you look at what they've been able to do, I mean, since 2003 through two, through not, not counting last year, they've picked 86, they've had 86 draft picks, you know, of those 86, they've only picked eight offensive tackles. So they, they haven't really done a good job. And of those 86 picks, they've picked 10 receivers. Think about that. They've picked more receivers in Cincinnati than they've picked offensive linemen. And do you wonder why their offensive line is so shitty? Right. Which is why people might think they'll go with Jamar Chase. Chase and Burrow, of course, had great success in college in 2019. Because they got the great Zach Taylors over there running the team. I mean, if they're, if if you're letting Zach Taylor make decisions on on the on the longevity of your franchise in terms of building the team, I think you're making a huge mistake. Look, maybe Zach Taylor will turn into a really good coach, but so far he's won six games. He hasn't demonstrated that he's capable of handling the head coaching job, let alone running your franchise. I mean, this is what this is what's so messed up. I was listening to. I was listening to uh, Cade Massey do the Ted Sidus podcast, which is Capital Investors, really good. If you ever listen to Ted's, he has incredible guests on there. And and Cade was talking about the draft and how you know he's done a lot of work consulting teams. I think one of the biggest problems AD with the draft is, and if you listen to this podcast, you could really it's really a problem in most all of sports is you have too much of middle management making franchise decisions. Like, like, what does the running back coach want? What does the receiver coach want? In, in any good company, the people that are in middle management don't make those decisions. That decisions are way above them. You know, they're told what they're coaching and what they're teaching from a philosophy that ranks above them. This is one of the biggest problems with the draft. Like, nobody comes into the Patriots building and tells, and the receiver coach doesn't tell Belichick what kind of receivers he wants. There's a profile that's developed before. So when the receiver coach leaves and goes somewhere else, hopefully he does it. That's my son. But when he goes somewhere else, then, you know, then 
the, the, the guy that's coming in is just going to follow the protocol. That's, that's what has to happen. If you listen to this pod, the way they talk, that's not what Cade thinks happens to a lot of teams. And I think he's right. And so I think you have to be really careful uh, with that. And, and that's why so many teams make mistakes. And that's why it, it gets all discombobulated. Another prop bet here, total quarterbacks drafted in round one. Over is at five and a half plus 350. Under at five and a half is minus 450. If we play this out, so obviously you, you know that it's going to be Lawrence and Wilson and Jones and Lance. There's four. I think it goes under, Mike, but you never know. Later in the draft, there could be some other guys that go in that first round. What do you think? I don't see it. I really don't. I I mean, there's a lot of talk about Kyle Trask, and I think a lot of people like Kyle Trask. Daniel Jeremiah reported that the Patriots are doing a lot of work on Kyle Trask. I don't doubt that. They have to do work on all the quarterbacks, right? So... I, my sense of it is, is you know, and Christopher Sims talked about Kellen Mons being high drafted, you know, could sneak into the burst. I, I don't know. I think it's, you know, to get there, you're going to have to pay a lot to move up. Are you willing to do that? I don't see that. Now, I do think with Baltimore picking at 31, I think Baltimore will sell the 31st pick out, right? I mean, I think they'll sell that to move down. You know, my sense of Baltimore and we'll talk about the trade in a bit, is my sense of Baltimore is I would trade from 27 up to get the player I want, and I would move 31 back since they have two ones. But I don't. I would play the under quarterbacks here. All right, that's the focus on quarterbacks and offensive linemen. When we come back here on the GM Shuffle, we'll dive into wide receivers and running backs. That's next. All right, anytime you're on the golf course, you always hear the phrase, hit it long and hit it straight. Well, as somebody who's a novice to the game of golf, a new person, I wanted to make sure I had the best equipment possible. So... As a novice golfer, I went and hit up our friends over at PXG because they have an all-new driver called the Black Ops. I mean, my man Chris over in Henderson has hooked me up with a phenomenal driver that's built to my game. My new game that doesn't really do much of anything on the course, but it has what I need in terms of the club head speed and the kind of grip that I need to go out there and be the best to my ability. I mean, this is music to ears to any golfer, whether you're a novice like myself or if you've been playing the game for decades. The PXG Black Ops driver is a breakthrough in driver technology. It's a complete and total victory in golf club engineering unlike anything you've ever seen before. Black Op drivers are adjustable to deliver a combined MOI of 10,000 plus for unreal forgiveness. That's just ridiculously high. So what you got to do Go check out the PXG Black Ops Driver. You'll be as impressed with it as I am. Learn more and get free shipping on all equipment at pxg.com slash gmshuffle and use code gmshuffle at checkout. That's pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle for free shipping on all equipment, pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle. All right, so wide receivers, the first wide receiver drafted Jamar Chase at minus 600. Then you got Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, Rashad Bateman. Obviously, these guys, I think we're going to go in the first round, especially Chase Smith and Waddle. But here's the bigger decision, Mike. Total wide receivers drafted in round one. Over at four and a half is minus 210. Under four and a half is at plus 175. Which bet would you make? I'm going to go over, and here's where I think it is. It's Chase Smith, Waddle. I think Bateman's four. And then I think it's between Elijah Moore at Ole Miss and Tony from uh, Florida. Maybe Rondell Moore sneaks in there. I don't see it. I think he's the top of the second guy. I think Terrence Marshall has got some medical concerns that has pushed him down. But I think it's Elijah Moore as the fifth receiver, which would make it go over. 
Okay, that's it for wide receivers. How about tight ends? Kyle Pitts, again, the draft position here, you can go over five and a half at plus 100, under five and a half at minus 130. He's going to be the top dra- top tight end, obviously drafted, but total tight ends drafted in round one. Over one and a half at plus 360, or do you go under one and a half at minus 475? I think you got to go under. I think the only other tight end that could be considered in the first round is, is Firemouth, Firemouth from Penn State. I think I said that name right. I probably didn't. Uh, but I, I just don't see that. I, I think he's more of a top of the second player. Uh, maybe down there at the bottom of the first, somebody comes in and jumps him. I think the odds are it's probably top of the second. All right, let's do running backs then. Najee Harris at minus 145. You've got Travis Etienne at plus 160. Javante Williams at plus 475. Um, Harris goes first, or do you think maybe take a flyer on ATN? Uh, I think it's Harris one. I just think it's one. I, I could see, you know, I could see it being two, maybe ATN at the top of the second, but I, you know, to me, I think those offensive linemen lend more to being traded up. So for me, I, I think it would be, uh, it would be just one running back. I can't see two. I think that top of the second is where they tend to go. Total offensive players drafted in round one over 18 and a half at minus 115 or under 18 and a half at minus 115. Which one there, Mike? Offensive players. Do we get like 20 offensive players in the first 32 picks? Well, I mean, look, I, there's, it's not a great defensive board, but let me just count them one, two, three, four, five. I go under that, AD. I mean, it's just not a great defensive board. That's the problem. I think if you 20, that means there's only 12 off, 12 defensive line, defensive players. I think people will take the corners more. I think the corners will go. You know, it's not a great defensive line draft. That's the problem. There's more edge rushers than anything. I lean under there. All right. When we come back, we're going to go from offense to defense. Some more defensive prop bets plus the Chiefs trade. We'll get into that in a second. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, the second round of the playoffs have been absolutely phenomenal, and if you really like a team, you can bet on them for the futures markets, maybe some conference finals MVPs as the conference finals approach, or how about NBA finals MVP? And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance, see dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Cornerbacks, as you just mentioned, Mike, the cornerbacks look good, right? Patrick Sertain, the second at minus 325. You got J.C. Horn at plus 300. Caleb Farley at plus 600. Sertain, 
out of Alabama, over 10.5 at plus 100 or under 10.5 at minus 130. Where do you have Sertain going, top 10 or out of the top 10? I think that number was set basically at Dallas, right? I think they think Dallas is going to take a corner, and you know, so that's why it's there at 10. I, I think Dallas could take J.C. Horn. Let's go a little background. Dan Quinn and Will Muschamp are best friends. They both worked together at Nick Saban in Miami. Will Muschamp coached J.C. Horn. Mike McCarthy coached Joe Horn at the New Orleans Saints. There's a lot of tie-in. I think the coaches probably feel like Horn's got huge upside, huge upside in terms of improvement, whereas Sertan's a really good player. But the problem with Sertan is, is that most of Nick Saban's defensive backs don't improve because he coaches them so well. He's one of the best defensive line, defensive backfield coaches in the league. So for me, I would be a little cautious about that. I, I like Horn. I'd take a flyer on Horn. Just a flyer. I'm not saying it's true. I just take a flyer. Okay. Horn right now, they got an over 13 and a half at minus 110, under 13 and a half at minus 120. You said you like the corners. How about total corners drafted in round one? Over four and a half at minus 115, under four and a half at minus 115. Well, I, you know, Farley's the, the question mark, right? Because of his back. A lot of people don't think he's going to go in the first round because he hasn't passed a lot of physicals. Maybe he has. You know, the physical thing is always hard to tell, right? Some teams fail you, some teams take you. You know, so can he go in the 20s? He's certainly talented enough to be a first round pick. There's no denying that. Uh, so you've got Horn, you've got Sertan, you got Newsom. Does Eric Stokes from Georgia sneak into the bottom? How about Asante Samuel from Florida State? I think the corners will go a little earlier than we suspect because uh, once again, there's not a really good defensive inside tackle board here. It's really very poor. I mean, Barmore from Alabama, you know, and then you got the kid from Washington, Milton Williams from Louisiana Tech. I mean, it's just not a great defensive tackle board. To linebackers we go. First linebacker drafted Micah Parsons at minus 425. Some thought the Eagles we know have never really drafted linebackers always been deficient in that category but some thought Parsons could go at 15th to Philadelphia. Uh, he's out of Penn State. Over 11.5 at minus 140. Under 11.5 at plus 110. Parsons the first linebacker to be drafted Mike? Yeah and I think it, I would go over. I don't, it, look the Eagles signed. The, the Eagles aren't going to take him. I mean they don't take linebackers. I mean I don't think they're going to take linebackers and I think with the Eagles signed Eric Wilson from Minnesota as their Mike linebacker or their outside or their will, whatever you want to call them. I think basically they just said, look, we're not drafting a linebacker. Here's the linebacker that can play right away. You know, and they kind of humored the coaches with that one. They're not going to take a linebacker. I think the Eagles are a defensive line or a corner. I think that's what they'll do. So we've talked about, the, obviously, the defensive linemen, the linebackers. Now we get towards the safeties. We talked about the corners as well, obviously. Um, first safety draft, Javon Morig Woodard at minus 380, Javon Holland at plus 350, Richie Grant at plus 650. Morig could go 26th to the Cleveland Browns. Um, and overall, total safeties drafted in round one over 0.5 is at minus 260. So under 0. 0.5 is plus 210. Basically what the lines are saying, Mike, if there's a safety drafted, it'll be one and it'll be Morig Woodard. What do you think? Yeah, or Grant or Holland. I mean, I think there's three guys. I think the safety position, once again, look, we keep saying everything's going to happen at the top of the second. I sound like an area scout. And, you know, when the reality of it is is somebody's got to go in the first. Like nobody's passing on the picks, right? Like there's going to be 32 first round picks, you know, whether we like it or not, you know, and there's probably somebody that we're not talking about that somebody has graded in the third round, you know, Jamar Johnson from Indiana, you know, is maybe he goes and people are going to say, oh my God, how could they take him so early? You know, that's what happens at the bottom of the first round. I mean, so 
I, I would lean over on the safety because I do think Grant and Morick are good players. Holland certainly has got consideration. All right, so how about one more? We'll just do defensive linemen, and then we're good here as far as the defensive players are concerned. Quiddy Pay at minus 180. I know some thought there he might go uh, to the Vikings, perhaps. Um, you look at other players like Jalen Phillips at plus 200, Christian Barmore plus 800, Gregory Russo plus 800. As you said earlier, Mike, the defensive linemen, not necessarily as strong as in the past, more edge guys, but do you think Pay goes first off the board? Yeah, I do. I really do. I think he's probably the first, you know, if— he's the first defensive lineman that I think goes. And I think he'll go before Parsons. I don't know about the corners. I don't do think that. I mean, look, I think if Carolina's got to make a pick at eight, you know, and they don't take the, and, and, and they can't take the quarterback or they could trade out, that's great. I think that's the real issue. I think some of these teams that want defensive help can't get defensive help because there's just not enough guys to justify the pick at where they're picking. Yeah, that's why I could see Pay going with Mike Zimmer in Minnesota. They know they got to fix up that defense. He's an explosive pass rusher. You put him with Danielle Hunter, and all of a sudden you can try to turn things around. Total defensive lineman drafted in round one, over four and a half at plus 120 or under four and a half at minus 150. Take the under? I go, yeah, I go. Well, I mean, what do we count? Those defensive ends, they count, right? I they mean, do. so yep. let's say if we go Pay, Phillips, the kid from Georgia, that's three. Barrymore's four. I'll probably think in yeah, the Miami kid. I, I might go under here, AD. Okay. I mean, at some point, there are going to be guys that go. So you, I would go under there. Yeah, I like Russo maybe going to the Bucks there to Miami at 32. So you're right. I think I would also take the over. All right, last thought here. A trade was made. Kansas City Chiefs landing their left tackle of the future. 2021 first-round pick, number 31 overall, along with several additional picks, the Baltimore Ravens, for tackle Orlando Brown Jr. and additional draft compensation. Brown, a Pro Bowl right tackle, made noise this offseason about wanting to play on the left side of the line. And now to Kansas City, that makes sense because they cut Cut longtime left tackle Eric Fisher, as well as right tackle Mitchell Schwartz. Seems like an absolute no-brainer. You have to protect your big investment in Patrick Mahomes, and the Chiefs get Orlando Brown. Do you like the move for Kansas City and for Baltimore? Well, I like it for Baltimore in the sense that they were never going to pay Orlando Brown a contract. I mean, he was never getting a second contract out of Baltimore. So instead of waiting to get the compensatory three, they took this deal, and it works out really good for them. I'm a little worried about Kansas City on this deal in this sense, because when you play Baltimore and Orlando Brown's your left tackle, you're thinking run first, pass second. Thinking that running game. And so you're not coming off the ball with as much velocity and as much flow as you typically would. When you go to Kansas City, you're thinking pass first, then run. And I think Orlando Brown's going to have some foot speed issues protecting the edge. I think he's going to have some trouble doing that, especially on the road with crowd noise. You know, when he goes into Denver, he goes into some of these places that are loud. I think he'll have some trouble with that. Now, Mahomes will get out of it, but I don't think he's a pure left tackle. And I think that's one of the reasons why you see Kansas City say, look, we're not going to give him an extension yet. We want to wait and see how this works out. The Kansas City basically said, look, there's no tackle better than him at the bottom of the first round. And they flipped first to second, so they still kept that pick. They basically gave up a third and a fourth, and they flopped two picks. It's probably the right trade, and I think Kansas City's really smart to not sign him to extension until they see it. Their concern is the same concern I have, is are we going to have to help him on certain rushers? There's no doubt against certain guys they will. You have to help most every tackle against certain guys. But can he handle this edge on a consistent basis? I think that's going to be the debate. And I think it was worth a chance, and I don't think they paid really that much to take the chance. 
Only time will tell for Kansas City if indeed that's the right investment to protect Patrick Mahomes. Last thought was close-up shop, and don't forget, more episodes coming this week, Wednesday and Friday. More of a draft preview on Wednesday night and Friday. We're recapping round one. Academy Awards took place last night. An obviously different feel, a luncheon style. Huge upset. Anthony Hopkins over Chadwick Boseman for Best Actor. They switched up the order of the categories. Best Picture actually was before the acting categories. Nomadland wins. And Glenn Close stealing the show with her impromptu dance of debut. How much of the Academy Awards, Mike, did you and Millie watch last night? Well, Millie was at home. She's up there babysitting. I watched zero. I watched zero. I was into <laughs> Made in America. I watched, I watched, I watched the the last episode of The Sopranos again. One of the great, great, uh, and I watched Blue Comet, and then I watched the last one. I watched those two. I, I don't know what happened. I just start, I started watching The Sopranos. Blue Comet. You know, I I think Kennedy and Heidi. It was a really good episode. I mean, Tony goes to Vegas and, you know, I thought that was a really good episode. And then I watched Blue Comet, which I think has one of the great lines of all time in it. You remember when they were over at the bar, at the beauty shop in Brooklyn and uh, they're all sitting around there and uh, and they say, look, we're going to take out, we're going to take out, you know, Sylvia Dante and Bobby Bacala. And then the one guy says, hey, Bobby Bacala, that Mortadella was Junior's driver a couple a couple years ago. And then the guy uh, then 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 the guy ushers one of the greatest lines of all time. And yeah, two years ago you were selling laser printers out of the back of your Crown Vic. Like seriously, <laughs> like what are you talking about? So I didn't see any of it. So you're gonna have to clue me in. I didn't see any of it. I I I actually am really one of the worst years in terms of watching movies. I didn't watch a lot of these movies. I'm gonna have to try to watch some of them. Well, I, listen, I'm so glad you watched Blue Comet again because. That's, for me, top five Sopranos episode. That sequence where Bobby Bacala gets killed. I mean, Bacala was such an endearing character, you know? But big Bobby, this oafish guy, just wants to go buy a toy train for his kid, decides to splurge on it. Obviously, he loves the trains himself. And the way that they cut that scene, I mean, it was amazing, the tension that was built up. Silvio gets shot as well. The fact that we got uh, Dan Grimaldi running away, <laughs> Batsy Parisi. That sequence, Mike, as good a sequence ever on The Sopranos. No doubt. And, and, and Blue Comet's as good as any. I mean, and then it made it America, when Paulie comes over to the table and sits down with them and he unbuttons his pants and goes mud on, you know, I mean, is there any, Paulie in that scene is as good as anything. I mean, that's as classic a scene. And to me, the cat too. And I love the kid that goes, my name is, I was named after Mr. Bobby Darren. I mean, I thought the guy that ends up killing uh, Phil, what a great scene. Oh, it was fantastic. Well, hopefully you'll get around to a couple movies when you can. Nomadland won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actress, Frances McDormand. It's excellent. And Sound of Metal is a film that I love. That won a couple of Academy Awards for Best Editing and Best Sound. So uh, there's never a wrong choice when you're watching The Sopranos, and there's never a wrong choice when it comes to supporting the GM Shuffle. Wednesday night, we'll give you our uh, draft preview special, and of course, Friday morning recapping round one. We'll talk to you then. <laughs> 